Roger's intro music, not Vince's. <laughs> yeah, because your music is better. It is so much more awesome. <laughs> You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic news. One of these days you I'm doing a remix are. of that on the Now ukulele. here's your host, Raj. It'll be awesome. Hello and welcome to the Comic Book Informer Podcast. This is Roger coming to you on Wednesday, February 4th, no, sorry, 15th, the day after Valentine's Day. So here's hoping that you fellows were nice to your girls and you put all manner of comic books in their stockings or something else in their stockings. Actually, this is a family podcast. You have no idea how Valentine's really Day works, do you? I do. I have my own rules for Valentine's. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> and you leave that Christmas tree up for a long time, don't you? Okay, where are you going with this? Talk about stockings and well, th- those those aren't the kinds I was talking about. If you're putting comic books in those stockings, I'm. That's why I said it might be something. That's an interesting. We're night. going down the wrong path here for a family podcast. Is all I'm saying. We need to divert. Divert. Okay, let's talk about zombies instead. There you go. Um, because The Walking Dead is back for season two point five. I guess we should call it <laughs> after Let's its break. That. Yeah, and so we got the first episode back. After all of the crap from the first part of the season in trying to find the little girl and then figuring out, oh, she's just a zombie anyway, stuck in the freaking shed. This was, well, you, you called it when you told me that if, if, if the pain meds weren't working, the show sure as hell would put me to sleep. And it damn near did. Thank God I had my laptop or my, uh, my iPad with me. I was VNCing into my laptop so I could play Star Wars while I was watching. I was that bored. It was, it was terrible really it was just oh my god give me a break honestly with the exception of like the last five minutes i couldn't even tell you what happened in the episode <laughs> it was just stupid crap is, yeah. is all it was and, talking and oh my just, god and, but like okay you can have conversation obviously but that's just pointless like <laughs> there there's absolutely nothing happening in any of all the various you know conversations that they were having well i i can see where they're going with it actually i can see what they're trying to do but in my opinion a they're not a it's it's corny cheesy crap that is expected and they they could have done without that b the 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 few things that happened that were supposed to be you know more action-packed like the oh a zombie jumped out at somebody oh come on really the the zombie wasn't really dead on the ground we did not see that coming honestly just didn't see that coming and then the two guys in the bar it's like again oh i didn't see this coming really he's jumping over a bar because no bartenders ever have shotguns underneath the bar you know nobody saw that coming either so we we've spoken so many times about how the walking dead has its at least in the comics its cadence where it builds up and then it steps back and then it builds up and it steps back so it, having an episode that's you know that step back in and of itself isn't a problem the problem is a it's your mid-season premiere you kind of need something a little more than an hour of people sitting around talking and b it, it didn't like i said it didn't lead to anything there was it was largely pointless oh not largely it was for the most part it was it it, it just was again it was 
again, I see what they're trying to do in trying to set up where the story is going to be going within reason for the next half a season. But it was just so unbearably dull, full of crap that is expected. Everything that's going on with Shane now, it's become a farce, in my opinion. It's just, come on, somebody hit him over the head with a shovel. Get it over with, because it's he's he's just a, a, a joke of a character. Carl. Yeah, really. Need you, Carl. <laughs> Carl, you should have done this crap last season. Okay, <laughs> I'm a little disappointed, but you can redeem yourself. <laughs> Hurry before you lose that eye, then your aim will be all wonky. <laughs> okay, let's move on to some actual comic books. We're going to talk about a couple of miniseries and... Um, Again, they're, they're straying away from the, the norm that we normally do. And I like that. I like that when I do my, my episodes every five episodes, it tends to involve some non-mainstream work sometimes. Um, so this time we're actually going to tackle Mass Effect because, oh, oh, love Mass Effect, as we've proven in the past. Plus with the Mass Effect 3 coming out soon and the demo just out yesterday, <laughs> I am in a man- Mass Effect frame of mind right now. And then we're also going to cover Samurai's Blood, which was a six-parter. Now, that one finished a little while back. We obviously, we've talked about it on the show a few times. Absolutely adored it. Now that it's done, I really did want to actually go into it a little bit more to see what you thought about it. Because I know that you had not yet read everything, all of the, the issues yet. But let's go back to Mass Effect and tackle that one first. So this one here is a little bit different because more so than the others, it is actually setting you up for some of what's going to be happening in the game. Now, if you're not a fan of the games or if you've never played them or you're not a gamer per se, although really, who, who reads comic books and doesn't play games? Come on, people. Um, that's fine. You can read it and enjoy it in and of itself. But if you are a fan of the series, it really opens itself up to things that are going to be happening in the game, which really has me fairly excited because it does involve area. And um, that is something that we saw in Mass Effect 2. You spent a lot of time on Omega and it's I, I love the setting and everything. And I like her as a character as well. So... I was really psyched about what they were going to be doing. And by they, I mean uh, Mac Walters, uh, what he was going to be doing with her in her own miniseries. Because, I mean, she's a kick-ass character, doesn't take crap from anyone, runs that place, and is insanely powerful as a biotic as well. So it's kind of interesting to see what he was going to be doing with that. Now, before I get into what I actually thought of the miniseries, what did you think of it? Well, I absolutely have to agree that I'm I'm glad that they centered this on Arya because, like you said, she's just such a great character that we want to know more about. Uh, Apparently, she was a major player in some of the books, which really makes me kind of want to read at least the good ones. (laughs) Yeah. Not Um, the newest one. (laughs) Yeah. Just just seeing her, the reason why, you know, everybody defers to her. Like when we saw her in the games, you know, it was just kind of like, oh, you know, this is what she is deal with it but you know seeing the the way she keeps everybody in line and not just through strength but through politics really great and man cerberus they made some great freaking enemies in this comic series oh god yeah just just they're 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 so perfect in that i mean they're 
almost completely indefensible in their actions, but you can see that small little sliver of what makes such a great villain of they think they're doing everything just right. Especially, I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but the general. Like, you you hated him. He was this pompous, you know, complete jerk. You couldn't wait to see Arya shove her fist down his throat. But there were those few scenes where he had that bit of nobility, that honor that you're like, all right, he's not a completely bad guy. I, I really loved the way they played everybody off each other. He also, without point blank questioning uh, the elusive man, he mm-hmm. kind of does. He kind of asks that question that there's a, we didn't just do this, did we, kind of thing. And and I like that. He's not getting, obviously, an honest answer. And But at least you can see the wheels turning, the little gerbils running in his head. It's like, okay, maybe I'm, there's stuff going on here that isn't right. And we've, we've already known um, since Mass Effect 2 that there's going to be a lot more crap with Cerberus and that they're basically the, the racial hillbillies of <laughs> space now and trying to defend humanity, but they are, you know, completely bigoted against everybody else and so you we already knew that it was going to be getting bad but didn't realize it was going to be getting this bad (laughs) i mean this miniseries really shows just how far cerberus has gone especially since acquiring the technology that was acquired at the end of mass effect 2 again if you didn't play the games um at the end of Mass Effect 2, the character of Shepard, who is the main character, the Commander Shepard, discovers, goes through a, a relay, so think of like a wormhole, and then from there discovers a whole bunch of what is called Reaper technology. And the Reapers are this um, droid-like race that essentially wipes out humanity, or not just humanity, but any living thing every 50,000 years or so, kind of get ticked off of people, I guess. <laughs> Stop making toasters out of us! And um, and so when he discovers that at the end, in the game, you have options, you have moral choices that you can make and whatnot, and you have the option of turning over the technology to the Cerberus Foundation group, whatever you want to call them. I don't know what they're actually what you would call them. Anyways, organization. There you go. And um, apparently, whether you chose to or not, they still get their hands on it. (laughs) And so much as it pertains to at least the comics and I would assume the books. And so basically this this organization that is cares only about humanity basically and feels that they are always the ones to save and bail everybody out even though they're, you know, the newest... Um, I guess you could say race that's been that's joined kind of the intergalactic federation kind of thing. And so to put this kind of insane power in their hands is going to cause a lot of problems. And so that's kind of what we're seeing here. And I really liked it a lot. I like the little twists as well of the um, the other race. What is that? The ones that are causing all the troubles. The blue guys. What are they called again? Uh, the uh, uh, can't the, I think they were called the adjutants. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and basically those are you know even they're hard for Cerberus to to keep in line. But I like where it's going with the story. I kind of found that the whole military thing between the general and what's the other guy that stows on the ship is he a captain 
I think Captain so. Captain Colonel, Lieutenant something. Yeah, somewhere. I think he's a colonel, I believe. And the whole military thing between those guys was kind of, I don't know, not as interesting. But I certainly enjoyed everything else. Well, I like how the 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 colonel guy kind of. He hated the general for being so pompous. (laughs) It was was interesting. But I I love how we got to see this different side of Cerberus, because when we've seen them in the games, largely, you're dealing with them with a majority human group. You know, Shepard and his crew, they're almost entirely human. So you don't see that other angle. Like, you know, Cerberus, you know, they're they're kind of racist and well, not kind of racist. They're pretty racist. But then seeing them here where it's like two humans surrounded by thousands of other species and still have that, you know, that moral high ground of theirs that they think they have. That was hilarious. It was. And I think that were it not for the fact that in its general um, Oleg Petrovsky. And were it not for those brief moments where there is some introspective thought in terms of whether what they're doing is actually um, correct or not kind of thing. Were it not for that, I think it would have been a lot less enjoyable. Were it not for the mm-hmm. dispute between him and the uh, the colonel, it would have been even worse because you needed at least someone in Cerberus to have at least even just an ounce of intelligence <laughs> and not be such an asshat. I'm leaving that in. So... So he was a good character. I, I think that even for Cerberus, though, he kind of took his intelligence a little too seriously. He thought a little bit too much of himself. But apparently most of them do. So, I mean, that's just the way it is. Uh, with, with with a leader like the Elusive Man, you can't expect anything else, I guess. But I wish that there would have been more of... Because just to, again, let people know in terms of what's happening... Aria essentially gets um, kidnapped. Well, not essentially. She gets kidnapped. They draw her out of Omega, which is this station that's built around a, an asteroid. And they get her out of there by different means. And then they kind of hold her against her will. And then their goal is to take over Omega because it's right near a relay and it's a powerful vantage point And they want it. And then what happens is that all of the underground forces that you have that live and, and you know, do business on Omega, which there are a lot, and that's something you saw when you were playing um, Mass Effect 2. So they all start vying for power now that she's gone. I wish we would have seen more of that underground battle. I also wish mm-hmm. we would have seen more of when Arya got back to Omega and is working with all of them to reclaim him reclaim Omega from Cerberus, all of those things. I really wish we would have seen more of that. I think that too much of the miniseries was centered around Cerberus, and I think it would have been nice if it would have been more of an even split. I, I, I can see that. I mean, I've, it's kind of like when we were talking about the, the previous one, uh, Deception with the Elusive Man, how it was a great story what we got, but I was looking for a different spin on it, but so I think that's kind of what we have here. It's a great story for what we got, but you were just looking for something a little different out of it. Yeah, that's exactly it. I'm. It's not that I was unhappy with it. I definitely recommend people reading it, especially if you are a fan of the IP, then definitely read it. It was very good. However, due to the fact that it was only four issues as well, we really didn't get 
any backstory on Arya. And I would have liked that. Even just, you know, a few things here and there. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of would enjoy that more. But it is, don't go into it expecting a story about her. Go in expecting a Cerberus story that involves them trying to take it over kind of thing. And if you go in with that mentality, then you are you are definitely going to enjoy it. Okay, so let's move away from there now and touch on Samurai's Blood. You want to take this one? I'll start off, yeah. Uh, we talked about it a couple times on the show, and as anybody who knows, we love our Samurai stories. And just the way the story kept building upon itself, uh, you, you have the three survivors of this clan that's been completely slaughtered, uh, the clan heir and his sister and their friend. Uh, well, I forget exactly what role he served in the, in the village. He was like the blacksmith's son or something, but you know, they were of an age. He was in love with the sister and best friends with the brother. So he became their, their samurai, their, their servant, their, their, their sword, their protector. And cause that's all they got left. And it was this great story about revenge but they couldn't just go for it. Uh, the, the, the daimyo is a protected man. They can't just rush in. So they have to come up with all these special plans and ways to get around, build up their notoriety, uh, hiding under different names. And it really focuses on the samurai kid and the choices he has to make. Like being thrust into this fighting arena. Now, of course, you'd think as a samurai, a great warrior, fighting is what he does. But he has this concept of honor that he feels he needs to to stand to. And the way that the fights play out in the arena, he's not happy with that. And we, just, I love that change in his character over the six issues where he's all for it and then he starts to change his mind and he breaks down the way they build him back up again. I really loved his character arc. Uh, the, the sister, same thing. She had uh, an interesting story. I'm sure you'll have a little more to say on that. Uh, she had some cool moments. I just really love how this was not even remotely what I expected by the time I got to the end. The, to- the story took so many twists and turns, but not in kind of an, a bad way. Not that, oh my God, like where did that come from? It was it was shocking. It was surprising. Like when, I guess I can say it. Uh, when the father shows back up again, uh, turns out not to be dead. We finally learned the heritage behind their lineage. I really enjoyed it because it started off as a traditional samurai story and then changed completely. But by the end, it kind of came back around. I, I really liked it. I Okay, there's... Okay, we'll start from the beginning for me. I I also very much enjoyed it. Um, Owen Wiseman did a fantastic job with the story. The... All of the narrative is really enjoyable. The the dialogue is fantastic. Um, Most of it feels like it would be true to that era as well, if you've read any other stuff from that that era so i i really think that he did a phenomenal job and then the art uh, by uh, nam kim and matthew dalton they did a fantastic mm-hmm. job with the art throughout there were only literally a few panels where i kind of went hmm that seems a little off but overall i thought it was really really great my 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 only concern that I, and i'd said it before too i found that the um the lettering for some of it was actually hard to read and that kind of threw me off a bit because it, it takes you out of the story, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so you, you never want that. In terms of the actual 
story, I absolutely loved it as well. I it starts off as something that is again the their their land is taken from them, their their clan, everything, and then they have to fight to get it back. So it's a story kind of that we've seen we've heard and read and seen before but then they they put a few interesting twists and the when the the sister is taken as well and then is essentially forced into prostitution it was done well enough and that you can still appreciate that it's a different time and a different place so it's not like now where you know you'd you'd go buy a gun off the street and go get her back it's not like that and then there's all of the the political aspects that the young samurai doesn't quite understand doesn't always agree with and fights against and then you have again that urge of that samurai just to go and save the woman that he loves so that whole story arc was was great i like that that story arc wasn't the entirety of yeah the six issues either it was just a part of it and it was a very good very gripping part of it as well when they brought the father back who um who who trained him as well in weapons and everything when they brought him back it kind of felt at at to a certain degree and i and i Having read the whole thing too, I maintain part of it feels like you've got a story that is, um, I don't want to say kids cause they're not, but they're, you know, they're not adults yet. I would probably put them in their, in their teens or early twenties. And instead of them resolving the problem themselves, the adult comes back from the dead and resolves it for them. And that's something that when you're writing, you really don't want to do that because it, it will alienate the people of that age group that are reading the work because it's like, what, we can't resolve this on our own? Dad has to come back from the dead to resolve it? It's like, come on, give me a break. But dad's awesome. But dad is freaking awesome in this case. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that kid needs a t-shirt that says, my dad can definitely beat up your dad. <laughs> um, but... It was done in st still in such a way that by giving the backstory of that character and his ties to the ninja clans and everything like that, it was done in such a way that it you can't help but think of it as unbelievably awesome. And then it's not so much that he comes back and saves them. But, well, I mean, kind of is, but the way the story is blended in such a way that it kind of takes you back. And so right. while the kids were doing this, he was doing this. So it, it kind of, the story takes two steps forward, but then it takes one back and then proceeds from there with him. And then later on with all of them together. So I like that. I think that it probably would have been better to foreshadow it a little bit more so that it didn't feel like it's just dad coming to save the day. That being said, once he shows up, his story arc because that see what happens is that no it's no longer just the story about the kids even though it was for three issues um all of a sudden now it's like did he appear in four or five very end of four okay so yeah so so it's no longer just a story about them now it's a story about him and how he works into it too and it's I like how he works into it, but I think that had he, we gotten a little bit more foreshadowing earlier, we would have known, okay, it's not just a story about the kids. 
Yeah, because up to that point, there were a few things that didn't quite make sense, like some plot points they pointed out almost seemingly at random at the time that were then explained later. Yeah. Uh, but for for the series that's called Samurai's Blood, and so much of the story is tied into, you know, legacy and, and patronage, because especially uh, was it issue three, the issue that focused on the girl, how, you know, she was always saying she did have Samurai's Blood, and, you know, she was living up to her legacy, whereas the younger the, the samurai kid was trying to, but didn't know how. I think it was important, though, that they did bring the father back in to bring it full circle and show that, you know, you can live up to your, your family's legacy and uh, be what you should be. But there's different ways to go about that. Well, it's not just that, but also just the fact that he was trying to live up to the legacy that actually the wrong was legacy. not exactly. And that is the point where you're you're also tying it all in well and kind of going, ah, okay, this is, it, it makes sense and it fits well with the story. So, and and I felt that, again, the writing was really good. Owen did a good job in that even those moments that are the, I could hit you over the head with this moral choice or this, you know, this this lesson, it's not, some of the wording is a little heavy-handed, but overall it's not. Overall, it's just a, a really well-told story. So I personally highly recommend this series for anybody who's, again, enjoys either a good story or a good samurai story. Definitely pick it up. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's move on to what we've been reading. How about you run us through your list? All right. uh, Really quickly, uh, Venom, uh, Circle of Four. This is how you do a a crossover. Just loving every bit. We're going to cover it at length once it's complete but oh my god i'm just loving every single issue so far uh wolverine and the x-men i uh, just want to quickly say it might not be the best comic marvel's putting out but i'll be damned if it's not the most entertaining <laughs> it, <laughs> it has just been the most fun comic every month without a doubt but the the things i did really want to talk about this week and not not in great detail uh was justice league beyond and transformers autocracy and the reason i'm talking about these is these are digital exclusive comics or at least in the case of justice league digital first uh as we said uh, a while back it's going to be published along with uh the new batman beyond digital a month or so after the digital issues come out and the thing that i'm really liking about this Uh, Justice League Beyond has two issues out so far. Uh, Batman Beyond actually just had the first issue come out today, and Transformers Autocracy just had the third issue come out. And I'm going to have to start doing a little more research as to when these new digital releases are coming out because the the list I get every week, uh, that's just from Diamond. They're the actual publishing suppliers. So that's why these haven't been on my new release list, and I keep forgetting about them until I see people talking about them on Twitter. But you get these comics... They're 99 cents each day of release. That's that's not waiting a month. Uh, Transformers, that one's only like uh, 12 or 15 pages. But the Justice League ones have been full-length comic books for a buck. That's how it's supposed to be done. (laughs) Yes. Same thing, Batman Beyond, 99 cents. I've been actually giving this a lot of thought lately because we've seen so many of these comics lately getting canceled uh x-23 generation hope uh ghost rider and it's just so hard in comics these days to get a new series out there and have it be successful if you're not the avengers you're not the x-men you're not the justice league you're not going to sell a lot of comics these days and i think this is an avenue more of the publishers need to explore putting out these 
digital first or digital exclusive issues and building an audience that way without having all of the overhead of the publishing really holding you back. I think this is definitely uh, a service that more publishers need to start exploring as an aside to their publishing business. Okay, you put out your X-Men comics, great. Maybe X-23 would work better as a digital. Okay, she's not selling a lot of comics in print. Maybe she can sell enough digital to be profitable at a price point like this. I agree. Build up, build up the reader's uh, exposure to her this way. And then once, you know, if you decide to bring it out in an actual comic, then you have that built-in audience that the more established characters do have. I agree. I think it's fantastic. The, the It's a lot less overhead, tons less overhead, and the 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 risk is a lot lower for them because, mm-hmm. quite honestly, it's a lot easier to just pull the plug on something like this. And so, Especially since so much of the publishing market is tied into the retailers. If the retailers don't think a comic's going to sell, they're not going to order it. Maybe the fans do want to read it, but their local comic shop isn't carrying it because the owner doesn't think it will sell. This doesn't require pre-orders, doesn't require shipping. If you want to read it, it's there. Yeah, and it will give retailers also an, uh, the option of well not the option but they'll they'll get to know what it is that people are interested in it, mm-hmm. it can't it, it'll definitely help them so i mean yeah they may lose some sales if it comes to the point where more people are buying just that but again we need to start changing things that's just we've just, we've discussed it at length so yeah this this isn't an issue of the digital comp- competing with the retail market because At this point, with these specific titles, they're two completely different markets. Yeah. And I would be all right with them doing some that are just digital. And there you go. I mean, why not? There, you can have some titles that never come to print. They don't have to. the 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 developer or the the publishers are in the business of making money. So that doesn't mean that they have to put everything out in print. They can do some digital only stuff, and then those people who want to pick those up will benefit from that and the price point of that. Mm -hmm. That it? Yeah, and just to throw it out there, um, since we're talking about games uh, this week, Transformers Autocracy is actually co-written by Christopher Metzen. That's the one you were talking about, yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. What did you think of it overall, though? Uh, I'm enjoying it. It's going back to the the pre-war days, which we've seen plenty of times. But it's really diving into the characters and the political stuff uh, to an extent that hasn't been seen before. And I'm really enjoying that part of it. And does it look like he has uh, like a good understanding of the characters and everything? Well, when basically the only characters you're dealing with is Optimus Prime and, you know, Megatron, it's kind of hard not to have a good understanding. I haven't read it yet, so I don't know. Yeah, but Metzen has said many times before he's he's a big comics fan. So it's cool to see him getting into the industry outside of uh, the Blizzard-owned properties. Yeah, very cool. Okay, for myself, actually, I haven't been doing a ton of reading other than getting caught up and rereading the Mass Effect and Samurai's Blood, but uh, I have been reading the volume one of The Essential Wolverine, which is the uh, Wolverine from number one to 23, so I've been reading those. Now, we're talking about old stuff here. <laughs> like, this is old Chris Claremont, black and white stuff. At hey, least nothing stuff that, wrong with that. Yeah, the uh, the old stuff where he's in Madripoor. Um I've been enjoying it. It's funny because I haven't read this stuff in forever. Okay. <laughs> and it was like, I'm reading this and going, Oh my God. And, and it's fun. It's, it's, it's over the top as well. Kind of stuff. Um, and I've been enjoying it. I, it's, 
I, 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 hell, it's better than the new Wolverine stuff. <laughs> you ain't fighting no devil here. Um, but no, I've been, I've been digging it. It's been nice to go back to the old stuff, especially considering all of the new stuff we've been reading with the new 52 and whatnot. Going back to some of these roots, it's been a lot of fun. I've been enjoying it. See, it's funny you should mention that because I've actually been considering doing some more of those, uh, old school. Uh, episodes coming up in the future because yeah so much of today's crap is just annoying me <laughs> oh yeah yeah no i i did go over some of the other ones in the new 52 but i no we're not talking about it <laughs> it's it is not worth our attention so i'm not talking about it okay so with that let's actually talk about what is new today so we'll start with dc and we got batman number six. Oh yes green lantern core number six hellblazer 288 and wonder woman number six i'm assuming you're excited for wonder woman I actually am. Very. Oh. Okay, cool. Uh, Marvel side, we've got Amazing Spider-Man 679.1. What is that one? Who's in that? Yeah. What is that? It's a point one issue. I haven't really you don't know? looked okay. into it too much. Okay. Avengers 22, Avenging Spider-Man number four. Oh, oh great. That's the one with the, yeah. the different art. Oh, I'm yeah. Okay. Uh, Fear Itself, The Fearless number nine, Generation Hope 16, Invincible Iron Man 513, New Avengers 21, Thunderbolts 170, Uncanny X-Men number seven, Venom 13.2, Winter Soldier number two, Wolverine 301, X-Factor 232, Astonishing X-Men Ultimate Collection Volume 1 Trade Paperback. That's going to be the Joss Whedon stuff, right? Yeah, uh, okay. it's previously been available on the hardcover. Yeah, uh, anybody who has or the, or the individual paperbacks. This one is a, a full twelve issues instead of six. Right. Yeah, got to get that. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man Volume One hardcover: The Introduction of Miles Morales and uh, Uncanny Exports Volume Two, and that's a trade paperback for Deathlock Nation. That's a crap load of Marvel stuff you put in there. I could put in more DC if you want me to. No, I think no, the Suicide right. Squad came out this week. Okay, and on the other side, IDW is putting out Transformers more than meets the eye, number two. And that's it. How many of okay. those is, are on your pull list? Quite a few. I'd rather, I'd rather not say. Right, I, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Okay, with that, we're actually going to wrap up this episode. Thanks for joining us. And, of course, we will be back next week, same time, same place. We'll talk to you then. They know where to find us. <laughs> I don't have to put it in there. <laughs> if you don't know, screw you. We don't want you on our site. <laughs> what if this is somebody's first episode? <laughs> of course, you can find us on comicbookinformer.com, on Twitter at CBinformer, and you can email us at roger at or vince at comicbookinformer.com. Are you happy now? I'm going to have to splice it all together so it makes sense. <laughs> All right, there you go. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs>